0: Today on Consequence, we're talking about the Brzezinski Cancer Clinic. Is Dr. Stanislaw Brzezinski's experimental cancer treatment a miracle cure or something far, far worse? Stick around. This is Consequence, true stories about false things, presented by the James Randi Educational Foundation. I'm Brian Thompson. Today we're telling the story of the Brzezinski Cancer Clinic in Houston, Texas. Stanislaw Brzezinski and his team of doctors have been running clinical trials of experimental cancer treatments for decades. But there are a lot of questions about this clinic. For one... Why hasn't Brzezinski published his results in reputable medical journals? And for another, why can't it cost over $100,000 for sick people to seek this treatment in the first place? Well, Later in the show, we'll hear from researcher and activist Bob Blaskowitz, who can share some of the personal stories of those who've sought out Brzezinski to cure their cancer. But first, I talk to Dr. David Gorski, a surgical oncologist who's written about the Brzezinski Clinic and just what it is that Stanislaw Brzezinski claims to be able to do.
1: Well, there are a couple of things that he's doing. His, the thing that he originally became known for is something that he calls anti-neoplastons. Um, that's what, if, if you, if you mention Brzezinski that's what you'll hear from most people who know who he is um basically he claims many years ago to have to have discovered substances that the body naturally produces to suppress cancer now that idea is not really a bad idea there actually are such substances however the ones that he's discovered uh, which he originally isolated from urine, um, and I really am not clear on the details these are this is going back to like the seventies um, are are basically um, compound the, the compounds that he now synthesizes chemically and gives in large quantities to patients
0: so what what are these things what are what are they how are they supposed to to fight cancer
1: um, well there are, it turns out that if you look at the actual chemical structures of what he calls the active ingredient, uh, that, that one of them is fennel is a uh, known as fennel acetate sodium. The other is phenyl, glutam, phenyl glutaminate sodium. And the other is a fennel isoacetyl glutam, glutaminate sodium. I'm sorry. I'm having problems here. Um, and, uh, you know they are basically he has there were, there were several of them that he came up with which uh you know he called A1 through A5 which is like very you know simple way of naming them um there's, you know it, it one of them though like you know AS you know AS2.1 is phenylacetic acid, phenyl acid um another one is you know is phenylacetylglutamate glutamine and, you know, they're basically ch- chemicals that are byproducts of normal metabolism. Um, one of them, which we can get into later, is kind of, you know, which kind of brings a twist into the whole thing, is actually uh, sodium phenylbutyrate, and and we can get into the significance of that later. But the, the, the bottom line is he's been using these to treat patients since at least the late 70s, early 80s. Um, interestingly enough he was a he was a he was an academic um and he actually does have an md that some have questioned whether he has a phd i don't really care one way or the other because i go by what he's doing not by what his quality you know what his degrees are um i like to point to him as an as an example of someone with an md phd who can go profoundly wrong as a fellow as an md phd myself but I find it very disturbing. Um, so, basically, he isolated these compounds. He cl- he he, cl- he claims that they are very active against you know a wide variety of cancers.
0: This sounds like you know it sounds like a lot of a lot of technical talk mm-hmm. that can be impressive to people. What what as a doctor, what makes you suspicious that this treatment doesn't actually? Work or or wouldn't actually work.
1: Well, you know, the, the, part of the problem is that there really is no good, you know, convincing randomized clinical trial data that these things work. And as Brzezinski claims against cancer, and it, you know, if you look at the, the publications, that a lot of them are very small. You know, are either case studies or very small clinical studies, um, there's another issue and that, that I'm sure you've, you've heard about is how he has a whole bunch of phase two clinical trials going on that he seemingly rarely, if ever, publishes the results from. Um, and so basically, the idea for, for me is, if you've been doing this for 30 years and you don't have some compelling evidence that this stuff works, you've been either totally incompetent or the stuff doesn't work. You know, it's, you know he's had plenty of time to prove whether it works or not.
0: But meanwhile, people are spending several thousand dollars. getting Oh, this it's treatment. a lot
1: more than that. They spend tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars for a course of treatment.
0: So, how does the? I, I guess it's the FDA that that controls whether or not someone's allowed to do a clinical trial.
1: Um, more or less. Um, and that's one of the things that I, that's bugged me is I could never figure out why the FDA has let them keep doing these. I could sort of understand why they did it, you know, twenty years ago, when they're you know say you know Brzezinski comes up and says, "Hey, here's some cell culture data that suggests that this stuff works against cancer," you know, um, that's fine, you know, that's fine. I could understand investing that investigating that further, and I know that. The NCI showed a little bit of interest back in the late '80s and early '90s, and but, however, none of it ever really panned out. Um, and that's, you know, the basic problem is he's continuing to use this stuff, and he's continuing to charge patients to be in his clinical trials without having really demonstrated you know, or given, you know, produced evidence that and uh, that oncologists would find believable that this stuff is efficacious against the cancers that he's treating.
0: So there's a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence, people saying that they've been through the treatments and it's worked for them. There are a lot of people who've been through the treatments and ended up dying of cancer anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give people an idea of what the the standard statistics are for a clinical trial for cancer patients if someone were were putting on a or, or were conducting an an ethical clinical trial mm-hmm. how many people would you expect to see results how many people would you expect to not see any results before that clinical trial was, well, was
1: stopped there's no there's no one answer to that question because cancer is not a single disease it's like hundreds of diseases and the answer can be different depending on what cancer you're talking about, um, and even depending on what stage of the cancer. Um, there are a number of you know validated st- you know statistical criteria uh, for determining activity, uh, whether you know and whether the drug is actually improving survival or even producing you know complete remissions. Um, or even resulting in indefinite survival, which would, you know, a lot of people would call a quote unquote cure, although we tend not to like to use that word in the context of most cancers. Um, and he's, you know, like I said, he hasn't really produced or at least published any really convincing evidence that his results are so much better than. Conventional treatment. And, you know, I realize a lot of the patients who come to him, you know, are, you know, there's, they, they come to him because they've reached the end of conventional treatment, their cancer is inoperable or it's not responding to, you know, conventional therapy, et, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, basically, you know he has he has yet to produce like I said, he has yet to produce compelling evidence that his treatment saves lives now using using case reports or you know individual anecdotes is always problematic because a lot of these cancers have fairly variable courses you know um again cancer even individual types of cancer can be pretty heterogeneous as far as how they how they behave, you know, there, there are patients who survive a lot longer than the median, and patients who die a lot faster than than the median. And that's why you need clinical trials with an adequate number of patients to be able to tell if there's actually a difference between the two groups and whether you're actually making an impact. Because if you get one of those patients who happens to be lucky however you want to call it, lucky enough to have a tumor that is less aggressive than average, it can appear that they're surviving longer because of the treatment.
0: Are there are there any other clinical trials you can think of that have lasted this long? I mean, you said he, he's been working with this kind of treatment for 30 years. Is that how long the actual clinical trials have been going on?
1: No. I, I, here's what... It, it's kind of funny. Back in the nineteen nineties, he was in—you tr- know—the Texas Medical Board was investigating him because he was, you know, doing his using his anti to treat cancer patients, and they were questioning whether he was broaching the standard of care. Um, and part of what part of the the plea deal, from as my understanding, is part of the plea deal they had with him was that. Number 1, he would no longer um use antineoplastons outside of the context of a clinical trial. Okay. So, my interpretation or my you know, is that what he did is he basically just set up a whole bunch of clinical trials and kept charging patients for the antineoplastons.
0: Wait, so so do you think at the time did did he have permission to run clinical trials?
1: Well he somehow keeps managing to get permission to run clinical trials, and, as I said, I scratch my head about this. I really want to know how he manages it um, because again, the evidence that I see from him is that not you know this stuff is either ineffective or at best marginally effective
0: hmm. so I guess to summarize here, he's been doing these clinical trials for years, not publishing any results Well, on well those trials. He, uh, he
1: hasn't published anything in a pubmed index journal on a clinical trial since uh, for quite a while now he does that doesn't say that is not to say he doesn't publish because uh, as, as i found out last year um when he when his uh Pitbull was, you know, going after skeptics who were criticizing him, you know, they will throw at us, oh, here are some studies, except they're in these journals I've never heard of, that are not indexed on PubMed. Now, being indexed on PubMed, there is a certain minimal standard to be indexed on PubMed. And and trust me, it's a minimal standard, <laughs> you know, because there, there are some alternative medicine journals that are indexed on PubMed that are pretty awful. But you know he's he's publishing in journals that are not even indexed in PubMed it's hard, it's cl- unclear what their peer review process is um so and these tend to be again either case studies or small you know groups of patients that he's treated and so that you know that's basically so so basically he hasn't published in any reputable journals any primary research that I've been able to find in quite a while.
0: And meanwhile, he's he's treating these patients in these clinics. And like you said, it's it's running up bills of tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars for these patients. Uh, well, do, do you have any idea where that money goes?
1: Um, not really. I don't. Uh, I've never really looked into the finances of the Brzezinski Clinic. It's not really something i have any expertise in so um I, I others may others i think have done done some of that um i seem to recall that andy lewis i think it was andy lewis of quack of uh the quackometer he posted a picture of brzezinski's house which is a pretty amazing looking place um with gates and like his initials on this you know uh electronic gate you know it's fair that that couldn't have been cheap
0: do you see any scenario where brzezinski is an ethical doctor who is just being misunderstood and that these treatments are somehow promising and maybe this is just how long it takes oh well certainly
1: he would like you to think that um That much, is, you know, it's hard not to come to that conclusion. As far as what my opinion of of Dr. Brzezinski's ethics are, my opinion of his ethics is quite low, um, as you probably realize from the sorts of things I've written. Um, I mean, there's another, you know, there, there there are other issues, for instance. Not too long ago, he was, and here's another thing that I can't figure out. Not too long ago, he got a letter, you know, a warning letter, about, you know, from, uh, about his um, Institutional Review Board. Now, all clinical tri- it, there there's a, there's, under the law in the United States, all f- all federally funded research has to be reviewed by an Institutional Review Board. However, it, w- which, uh, and in fact, most universities require that all research has to, that, that they carry out has to be reviewed by an IRB. However, if you're going to get a drug FDA approved, it also has to be approved by an IRB. Now, the IRB is supposed to protect human subjects. It's supposed to look at the trial and make sure that there are no undue risks, that there's adequate informed consent, that there are no or, or that the benef- the potential benefits being claimed have a basis, you know, in science. So, and, and you know, and and basically make sure that the trial is on the up and up and and that patients are not being harmed, you know, subjects who enroll in these trials are not being subjected to undue risk and not being told about it. So, you know, it turns out that, and I looked at this, you know, a few months ago that, you know, Brzezinski's IRB is actually run by someone who works for Brzezinski, which uh, is not cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know, uh, he. It's also there. You know, it's also been questionable in terms of its you know record keeping about c- clinical trials, how it's been reviewing trials. There were a sev- You know, there there were a number of issues that that the FDA had concerns about. Um, if my university got a letter like that, there'd be hell to pay because they would be worried about their clinical trials being shut down. Um, I'm not sure how Brzezinski keeps doing it again. Um, as I said, it's if, if you're doing a clinical trial that's going to lead to FDA approval or that's going to be used as evidence for FDA approval, you have to use, you know you have to follow the federal regulations on human subjects protections. Um, and it's very uh, you know it, it's. The the IRB that Brzezinski uses seems to be a whole, it seems from my interpretation to be a wholly owned subsidiary of the Brzezinski Research Institute.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so in your experience, how, how unique is this situation?
1: Well, you know, farm, you know, pharmaceutical companies can sometimes can do this, but they're, they're actually, you know, watched over a lot more closely. Often, pharmaceutical companies will use outside IRBs. there are companies that will run IRBs you know for various places, including industry or researchers not affiliated with a university because universities almost all have their own IRBs if they do any sort of human subjects research at all um, so and, and I actually have kind of problems with companies running IRBs because you know you pay the company to review your protocol there's still a conflict of interest there but it's not i guess it's not quite as bad as a conflict of interest of having the irb essentially be part of your institute in a way that university irbs are not say part of you know they're they're part of the university but they're separate kind of independent that cannot really be influenced by departments and you know the administration because. If they, if there's ever evidence that they are the federal government, you know they risk having the federal government shut down human subjects research on the campus. Right. Um, I I like to put it this, you know, if pharmaceutical company, if a pharmaceutical company did what Brzezinski is doing, um, the people who defend Brzezinski would be apoplectic. You know, they would be, you know, this is oh, this is big pharma, you know, getting around the rules. And but Brzezinski does it and somehow it's okay.
0: Wow. So what what can people do? I mean, who do you complain to? Who 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 watches over him? Is it the state? Is it the federal government? You well
1: know, the Texas Medical Board has tried twice now that I'm aware that I'm aware of to take his medical license away for broaching, you know, for not living up to the standard of care. Most recently it was decided, I think in November that the medical board was dropping its case against him. And the reason is because it, there's some legal stuff that I didn't really understand until I talked to, um, Jan Bellamy and a couple of other people who know something about the law is that the bottom line is you can't they they can't t- take action against him for thing for actions taken by em- physicians in his employ now you at least not for purposes of taking his license away so what that you know so what that means is you know he he has these physicians working for him who basically, you know, t- see see most of the patients. And a couple, I guess, a couple of the complaints were more were from patients who were not f- for whom Brzezinski was not their primary doctor. And basically, from my my interpretation, is that Brzezinski threw these guys under the bus and basically blamed them for whatever problems there were. Um now whether the whether the Texas Medical Board will go after these physicians I have no idea. Personally I hope so, but um whether you know Brzezinski appears to be off the hook.
0: You can read David Gorsky's writing at sciencebasedmedicine.org. Bob Blazkowicz is a researcher and science education activist who's been looking into the case histories of those who've been treated at the Brzezinski Clinic. What he's found has raised even more questions about whether Dr. Brzezinski's practice is as ethical as his supporters would have you believe. I started my conversation with Bob by asking him how he came to hear of Stanislaw Brzezinski in the first place.
2: Was 15 years ago, um, a a friend of mine whose son had um, advanced brain cancer um, found out that she was that her son was no longer eligible for a, an uh, experimental uh, drug trial at St. Jude um, because the the tumor had uh, grown in such a way that it would it block the cerebral spinal fluid and that needed to be clear in order to do this treatment, um, and so she was really. Uh, desperate at that point, and she uh, asked me what she what I thought about this guy. You know, she heard uh, stories of a the way she put it was a, a doctor out west who treats people with a, uh, a uh, an element of urine, so something that had been found in urine. Um, and you know, I looked into it, and it just didn't. You know, I had to tell her. If if this guy had cured cancer, he'd have Nobel prizes, you know, multiple Nobel prizes, um, and it just didn't add up. And you know that was you know her last hope um, for for a, a cure at that point, and it was a really horrible place to 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 be and a bad thing to watch and participate in. And after that, you know, I, I didn't know who that person was um, until last year um Reese Morgan uh, started receiving threats from someone at this clinic out west actually in Texas um uh who was treating people for you know children with brain cancer with- Well no,
0: ex- explained uh, explain who Reese Morgan is.
2: Oh, Reese Morgan, he he's a Welsh boyo. Um he's a kid who has uh made his uh made a name for himself uh examining uh, dubious claims. He's a high school student. Um, he just recently graduated. Um, he, uh, I believe, suffers from Crohn's disease and was looking at alternative treatments. And um, uh, He called out a, a manufacturer of a treatment which was basically just bleach, and he got some uh, press coverage for that um, and he was also looking into the the Brzezinski clinic after he saw that a number of uh, local people were doing fundraisers to go see him um, to raise money for people to go see him. Um, and he wrote, uh, you know, he wrote up his his opinions on his blog. And he received quasi legal threats from somebody who uh, had been hired by Brzezinski um, to do. Reputation, I think reputation, uh, fix at work on the web for Brzezinski, um, and sent uh, Reese photos of his house from uh, Google Earth. Uh, clearly, the message was, "We know exactly where you live." Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and that's kind of the thing when you when you look at the the way that Brzezinski's message is spread, it's generally. As far as I can tell, not directly f- from the clinic to the public. It's through these these middle people um, who who promote the cure that they think that they found. The description of this guy uh, matched the description of the person that my friend had told me about, and you know, I put one and one together. Um, and so, so I, are
0: these are these just? I mean, you said that they are they're people who are sort of on board with Brzezinski. Do you have any idea if? these people are like hired minions like attorneys and people like that um or if they also include people who are just fans of
2: his um i think that a lot of them are just fans there is a very uh vocal group of people who claim they've been cured by him um that's the brzezinski patient group um they uh have their anecdotes um then there are also people who just I, I I don't know that they're they're hired by Brzezinski, so I wouldn't say one way or the other. Um but they are you know they they've been partaking of the Kool-Aid. Um they are really committed to this, um and they really believe that this is a cure for cancer. Um so you know, it relies a lot on um, very persuasive but unconvincing evidence like like testimonies. Um, and that's that's a red flag in itself. So-, so
0: when you started looking into the case studies of people who've been treated, um, both people who've been treated and, and have survived their cancer and people who've been treated and died, um, what sort of surprised you about what you found?
2: Um, there are is is a lot. Um when I first started writing about this, um I you know, we were only getting a very one sided story from the the supporters of Brzezinski, and it was all these survivors. Um and so I wanted to see, you know, well, what about people who appeared in the press? You know, people who had mentioned Brzezinski during interviews. What what were they saying? And I found a lot of patients who had uh gone to the the public um to try to raise funds so they could go see Brzezinski. And in my first couple of uh, uh articles about it or, or blog posts about it, when it, it comes to looking at reports of what Brzezinski's doing and his outcomes, the only thing that we really see are are generally uh patient testimonies. Um, and you know we we're only seeing the successes, so it looks like they're you know it's kind of like the te- Texas sharpshooter fallacy. They're 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 drawing the target around the the holes in the side of the barn. Um, so I kind of wanted to see what uh, a a patient group that that wasn't sorted by outcome looked like. Um, and so I went to the international press, um, looked in some databases as far back as I could, you know, and I came up with, uh, about 15 patients who I could find, um, outcomes for. And out of those, uh, 15 patients who had appeared in the press, uh, 14 or so of them, uh, all but one were, were dead. Um, and, uh, The reason these people had appeared in the press is generally because they were begging for money to start this uh, anti-neoplastin trial, uh, A&P. And uh, so when you you start sorting by something other than successes, um, you you see something that is um, a, a rather disturbing picture.
0: So, when you looked into these case studies, um, let's, let's get down into some specifics. Uh, what, what, are, what are some examples of, of people that you found? What, what sort of experiences did they have?
2: Well, it's, it's very curious. There, there are very few um, cases where, that, that I've come across where people, or at least the patients in their, their closest immediate family, um, say, boy, did we make a mistake. Um, I I I don't see that, but then again, they're not exactly unbiased. Um, that there there are motivational biases to uh, and and issues involving cognitive dissonance that that might make it harder for them to to see what is actually happening. But a lot of people really want to share their experiences on this amazing drug, and when you look at them, um, often you just see a long slow. Uh, decline um, that is punctuated by moments of of hopefulness and optimism that may not actually be warranted. Um, I would think of um, the case of uh, Adam M. Um, Adam M. uh, I believe he had kidney cancer, and uh, the family decided um, that they were going to pursue – uh, alternative therapies. Um, and they went to Houston, um, you know, to to visit the, the clinic. He can't ship his antineoplastins across state lines um, because of I believe it was an FDA ruling. Um, so people have to go to him. Um, and he'd had a, a major part of the the cancer uh, resected. Um and so after that he has kind of this, you know, gap where the cancer had been. Um and they get all sorts of MRIs and stuff. And uh there seems to be some uncertainty about whether or not the tumor that gets him into the ANP trial was actually ever there at the time they're reviewing his case. The family doesn't seem to recognize this. Um in fact they're only told that he has recurring cancer um uh after they've said that they can't afford the treatment which is $30,000 to start um and so that what's happening there is is very very strange and and really does need to be clarified um because later on in the in the patient study they say well it looks like the you know we were misinformed about the status of the lesions you know uh, that got us on this trial, and it, it's just like, well, wait, what? What happened? You know, and we don't know what happened. Um, so, you know, that type of thing would need to be uh, examined. But um, when you go through the, the the case, at all points, these doctors are are saying, well, we're going to see what Brzezinski says. We're going to see how he wants to treat you. That sort of thing, um, and that happens in Adam's case uh, for the for the rest of his treatment with them. Um,
0: so, how many how many doctors are working for Brzezinski?
2: Um, it's it, it's hard to say. I've you know I've counted about three or four kind of underlings. Um, there there may be more, um, but uh, just as they mentioned names, they, and who knows if they're still there or not. Right. Uh, but uh, you know he's 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 clearly in charge. And one of the interesting things is that recently there was a challenge to his uh, medical license. Um, and his lawyer success- successfully argued that um, Brzezinski wasn't uh, responsible for the medical decisions of the people who are working for him. So essentially throwing those doctors under the bus as far as I can tell. Um, but when you look at these, these patient uh, – you look at other patient stories, it's clear that the doctors are, are, are deferring to Brzezinski's judgment. Um, so it would be really interesting to know. Who's signatures in these? You know, in these files, you know, who's, who's signing off on these records? Um, uh, but you know, he go the the, the normal course is that someone goes to the clinic for about uh, two or three weeks to learn how to administer these um uh, the any uh, through a, a catheter uh, implanted in the chest. Um, after that intense three weeks. Um, the family is sent back, um, uh, and you can see the side effects pretty quickly. Um, the, the most obvious one is just a, a ravenous thirst. Um, as uh, you know, Adam M, for instance, was drinking 12 liters of water a day to keep his sodium levels in check while he was on A and P. Um,
0: wow, that's that's insane.
2: That is totally crazy <laughs> so it and, and a lot of people say well you know it's better than being nauseated or you know your hair falling out but you know not all chemotherapy does that to people um, but you know that's that's the the the, the main most obvious side effect And if you don't actually drink that much water um, very bad things I believe like fluid retention can happen um, and uh, pressure on the brain um, which is really bad for a lot of these brain tumor patients, um, but uh, when, the, when it's clear that the treatment has failed for Adam, um, the clinic tries to um, start up another therapy, a so-called gene-targeted therapy, which is another $30,000, and the, the family reports that is $20,000 a month after that, um, and they describe their, their experience as a horrible six-month detour. Um are are
0: all these different treatments part of the same clinical trial that Brzezinski has gotten approval to do?
2: No. Um these are he, he gets um he has over 60 outstanding trials and I don't mean outstanding in, in 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 the sense of good. Um 60 trials that have been started with uh and, and registered at clinicaltrials.gov um that um are for all different sorts of cancers um, and all different sorts of combinations of these A and P's. I mean, I think there are about you know eight different types of of antineoplastins, um, These fractions of of, of urine, um, and uh, but you know the, the the studies never seem to be completed, um, or they stop updating the number uh, up, updating the status of the of the trials for some reason. Um, so, you know, we don't really know what's happening and he's not publishing with this stuff in reputable journals. Um, so we don't know. Um,
0: Hmm. so what happens with, with Adam?
2: Uh, Adam is, is still with us. Um, this is an ongoing, um, you know, ongoing case. Um, I, stopped following after uh brzezinski um, after they they went off Brzezinski's treatment um, so you know I'm pulling for him and I, I you know I hope that he he improves
0: um so how is this how is that case different or similar to other cases that you 've uncovered
2: it's similar in that you see a steady decline um, you, you don 't see improvement really um, and it's punctuated by moments of of hope that don't really seem to pan out. Um, that's the main similarity. The other thing that you see is that uh, patients as they're they're undergoing this treatment are really kind of in a uh, – uh, they really have tunnel vision. They're really looking and they're focusing on hope. Um, when and, – and, and that can be a good thing, but when it's misapplied to something that doesn't seem very promising, it could be devastating. Um, and they just kind of ride the rail down to, to perdition. Um, so in, in this case, um, the family had kind of decided that they weren't going to go, besides the, the surgery, uh, with conventional medicine. Um, and that, you know, uh, was probably not a, a great decision. Um, another example. Um, And this is probably the one that um, is is most disturbing. A kid named Chase S., um, a kid in Detroit uh, who had a diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, which is a a really hard cancer to treat because it's in the brainstem. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's common in kids it looks like, and you don't want to give children – Huge amounts of chemotherapy or radiation on their developing brains—it's just not a good—it's just not a good diagnosis. Um, and his family um, were were offered trials of, of therapies at UMass and Duke, um, but they decided to go to Houston to see the Brzezinski Clinic instead. Um, when they got down there, they had uh, the. Standard sessions with the Brzezinski Clinic. Um, they actually went to MD Anderson, which is a world-renowned cancer hospital, research hospital in Houston. Um, and it's clear that the the doctors there are trying to dissuade them from going to Brzezinski, but you know, you can just see the defenses going up. They they really want Brzezinski to work. Um and the family is committed to a whole range of, of, of questionable therapies. Um, you know, nutrition you know is a is a real you know medical issue, um, but uh, you know they seem to be taking advice from this this they call them a nutrition specialist um, and homeopaths. Um, in fact, they, they're. They're really excited about this Calcutta homeopathic clinic that um, I think is run by uh, Dr. Uh, Prasanta uh, Banerjee um, who – they seem to have uh, – they say that they have a track record of, of um, eight out of nine patients they've seen with this particular type of cancer have had complete remissions using their homeopathic treatments. Um, And that just seems really, really unlikely.
0: Um, Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out again for for people who may not have thought about this, that 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 seems to be one of the big red flags for any kind of treatment, is that if it's promising to do something that medical science has been unable to do for years and years and years and, and millions upon millions of dollars go into this research, you would think that it would be something that would be more well known than just somebody's website
2: yeah yeah and and, and the, the the weird thing <laughs> is is the way in which people who really really want to believe are able to construct elaborate fictions to undergird their belief that this one person actually has the one cure um, so that the entire you know pharmaceutical industry has to be conspiring against cancer patients or wants everybody to be sick um, you know and that is an easier thing to believe I think sometimes uh then the person who I really love is going to die. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a really it's a it's a pretty vicious trap. Um so but yeah they talked to Deepak Chopra, um who was quote, supportive of our approach. Um and he wouldn't change a thing with what they're doing. Um
0: noted noted medical professional Deepak Chopra.
2: Oh, I know. Well he he says that, you know, prayer and meditation would, would be useful. I mean I guess it doesn't have side effects like antineoplastins, but whatever. Um, they uh, uh also you know, glommed onto this machine called a a rife machine, which I hadn't heard of, but they say it transmits specific frequencies to detoxify the body and stimulate healing and you know, seems unlikely. Um, yeah, and this whole time, they're going through all these treatments. Chase is, you know, his face starts sagging on one side. A kid who's actually really, you know, kind of sprightly and animated and clever and quick witted at the beginning of the tale, it, you know, he's now becoming uncertain, and his face is sagging, and he's losing mobility on one side of his body. Um, the family decides to take Chase to Medjugorje in Hungary, the the site where the Virgin Mary appears. And they go there looking for a miracle cure. Um, they start up quantum healing, um, which is basically imagining that things are getting better, but like imagining it really clearly and intensely. So, um, do we? Do
0: you have any idea how they're funding all of this? Is this a rich family, or is this donations? I mean, this seems very expensive to go on this world tour of alternative treatments.
2: Yeah, I do not know how this family particularly. Um, funded this, all these treatments. Um, but it doesn't seem like, um, I'm sure there was a lot of cost involved. Mm. Um, I don't know where the money is coming from. Uh, very often, there are fundraisers, endless fundraisers, where people are are pulling in resources from the community to try to uh, cure these kids.
0: Yeah, I've encountered these before, actually, just in my personal life. I've I've run into people, co-workers, friends, family, people like that, who are um, either fundraising or uh, just talking about fundraising for someone who's going to get cancer treatment. And it's obviously, that sounds like something you'd want to support. And then the cancer treatment turns out to be uh, some sort of experimental stem cell therapy in Germany, or something like that,
2: yeah, and you know it for you know you may be able to use stem cells in order to treat cancer. i don't know, um, but you really do have to do your homework before you decide that you 're going to throw in with these uh these particular treatments, and that can be a really harsh thing when your friend asks you for money to save their nephew right um so, there's a lot of emotional pressure that that, that people are asked to contribute.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely, because you're not a medical doctor yourself, not you, but I mean, just an average person in general isn't a medical professional. So, it's very easy for the family who's convinced of this treatment to say, well, what do you know? What are you talking about? Um, you don't know any better than we do. So
2: I, At some point, people, they actually cross the lines. And 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 get into the mindset that they actually do know um, that they and they are absolutely convinced that this stuff is going to work and, and that often seems to be kind of a mis- mistaking hope for fact, um, and that's a that can be pretty sad, um, but yeah, Chase, um, you know, um, was it was a long long decline and it late in the in the. Comparatively late in this treatment, they actually talked to um, Brzezinski, um, and they leave this conversation believing that the increasing symptoms that Chase is having are an indication that the tumor is breaking down, that, that getting worse is getting better, right? Um, and they, they describe it in their journal as being a, quote, healing crisis. The tumor is breaking down too fast for the body to absorb. But at this point, the kid is basically brain dead and, and is laying in state, or uh, lying in state, in his uh, his parents' front room. Um, Child Protective Services is called in, and the kid is, is brought to a hospital and then released for some reason into the hands of his parents. I at no point have seen that the kid has gotten any actual treatment. Um, but um, they start talking to something like a, I don't know, a psychic, uh, facilitated communicator, an intuitive, who starts communicating with with Chase. Um, uh, and it's just, it's just the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, I mean, it's just a total train wreck from beginning to end. Um, and I mean, even in that, Brzezinski is compared to all the other mystics and shunks and, and, and quacks for consulting on this poor kid's uh, lack of treatment. Um, he's a fairly small player, but I think it's really kind of illustrative of a uh, mindset of a patient who is going to be taken advantage of no matter what. You know. Um,
0: yeah, people are in a desperate situation and it's very easy to understand how they would be open to... All manner of alternatives. Um, it, it maybe is a little bit more difficult to understand why they wouldn't pursue a traditional treatment at all.
2: Yeah, but the, um, the, yeah, I, I, it, it. I've been in conversation with people uh, about you know how should we approach you know talking about Brzezinski and how should we um, engage with the, with the public about this issue, and I think some of the best. Advice I heard. It came from Tim Farley. Um, he says that, you know, when people are in, they're in. You're not going to talk them out of it. But the important thing is to raise awareness ahead of time before people kind of get sucked in. Um,
0: yeah, that's, that's, uh, for people that don't know, that's Tim Farley who runs What's whatstheharm.net, which is a database of people who have potentially been harmed by uh, superstition and pseudoscience and paranormal type things. He's been on the show a few times before.
2: Yeah, he he does amazing work, um, but uh, and I think he's right that that um, making sure that you can get good information into the hands of the people who are going to be looking into Brzezinski is a really important thing, um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do right now. If I may segue into that,
0: please do. Um,
2: yeah. Um, so what we're doing, um, I've been accumulating um, patient stories at a website. Called the Other Brzezinski Patient Group dot um, where you and you know, I've gathered and 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 other uh, interested people. We've gathered at least one hundred and twenty uh, different stories at this point. They're not all up yet. You know, there's a lot of writing and research that goes in, into it, but we're working on that. The thing that we're really trying to do, though, is you know, give Dr. Brzezinski. I mean, what do you get for the cancer quack who has everything? He already lives in a gigantic house with, you know, fifteen bathrooms and uh, a gated estate. You know, what what do you get the cancer quack who has everything? Well, we decided that we want to raise money um, in his name for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, um, and you can go to the Houston Cancer and and find out how you can contribute, and then. On his birthday, the twenty third of January, we're going to issue a challenge to the Brzezinski Clinic to match those funds. And I like to think of uh, of this as, regardless of whether or not the clinic decides to participate, um, probably the the greatest thing that the Brzezinski Clinic has ever done for cancer research.
0: Cancer is such a a, a horrible illness, and that the treatment for it can just be so ugly, and <laughs> Um, and the treatment can be very, very harsh. And not always. Uh, sometimes cancer is, is treated uh, relatively easily, and, and side effects are minimal, but um, it can be an ordeal. I mean, I think just about everybody knows somebody or is someone who's been through uh, that kind of cancer treatment before. That's
2: right, so, and, 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 and that's one of the things that you see over and over, um, people referring to, like, there's some people who have had uh, traditional chemotherapy to treat whatever cancer it is, and they just don't want to go back on that regimen, which you can totally understand. Um, that they'd been wiped out by it. And they 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 hear that Brzezinski gives them a non-toxic alternative to, you know, chemotherapy. Well, that's that's not exactly true. Um and um you you understand that that um Chemotherapy and radiotherapy and the other forms of therapy for, for, for cancer uh, can be traumatic. They can be unpleasant and they can be disfiguring. And they also, in the aggregate, improve patients' lives um, and the, the length of their lives and the quality of their life. And that's the important thing.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for Consequence. Special thanks to Dr. David Gorski and to Bob Blaskowitz. For more information about the Brzezinski Clinic, please visit thehoustoncancerquack.com. Consequence is a production of the James Randi Educational Foundation. To find out more about the JREF's mission to promote science, skepticism, and critical thinking, just visit randi.org. That's R-A-N-D-I dot O-R-G. Consequence is produced by me, Brian Thompson, and our music is by Planet Shifter. Thanks for listening.